Hello, everybody. Welcome to Learn Full Podcast. Today, we have an excellent guest, Janine Davis, joining us today. She is a world-renowned C-suite executive director, coach, facilitator for venture-backed startups and large organizations, Glassdoor, Microsoft, Headspace, you name it. She basically goes in there. She helps out people. She helps out organizations. She brings people up. She makes them better. She makes them their best, really. And I know several people that she has helped. There have been a couple on the podcast. And it is crazy to see how big of an impact she has, how big of a change it is from someone before and after meeting her. So I want to uh, thank her for coming on the show today and give you guys a little brief snippet about what we're going to be talking about. We go from personal, her work, and then give you suggestions on professional life. So personal, we look at equine wolf therapy. She's really big into getting people out after remote COVID, all these things going on. She talks about continual growth. She talks about archetypes. She talks about Jungian psychology. Then we get into her life as a coach, uh, frequently asked questions, problems she has, suggestions. Uh, we also took a bunch of questions from you guys, and uh, we answered a few of them on air, which is like how to get past uh, procrastination. How do you ask for help if you're? it's really hard for you to do that? And then we move on to EQ leadership. We define what is it, what's important about it, the power of it, uh, how to operationalize it into your organization. And then additionally, as a member of the team, how to bring it up, how to lead up. There's, as you can imagine, a ton of books throughout this, but we also talk about how to apply these, how to, how to see if an organization is applying these characteristics. So like when you're applying for a place or you're looking to, to join an organization, startup, whatever, and they say, we care about this, we care about this. How do you know when they really care about it? You're right. It's like, how do you suss that out? And we actually we get into very concrete, specific things you can ask, do, and say to see if these if the place you're you're talking with is actually a place you want to be at. We we talk about history, uh, the Soviet Union, young in psychology, like I said, uh, and hiring rubrics. We get a, a big dive on hiring rubrics. If you're on, if you check out the website, all this is in the show notes, including a PDF of her actual rubric that she made for people. Uh, we also have a running joke. For people listening in, if you count how many times you say Ted Lasso and you get the number right and you message me, I'll give you like a, uh, I'll shout you on the next episode. <laughs> uh, other than that, this episode will also be on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and you want to check it out in a video format or also see the clips that I'm going to be coming up, it's a new thing that I'm doing or something that I'm re-evolving. Um, I'm going to be doing that as well. Uh, so without further ado, big setup here, big payoff. This is a huge episode with a lot of great content. Wherever you find yourself in the world, I hope you're doing well. And let's jump into a great episode with Janine Davis. I'm curious, like, what what are you currently working on right now that you has really excited or that you're excited about in particular? Yeah, thanks. It's good to see you again. Uh, okay, well, there's a couple things. One is sort of just around like helping orgs with how to do this whole hybrid, whatever this is. You know, how do you sort of go back to the office and or you know, have some people working from home full time versus in the office. So that's been sort of, you know, a, quite a big, a big thing. Another thing that I am just crazy, super passionate about, and it came from a strange source is that I really have this impulse or impetus and like passion around getting leaders into nature and with animals in particular as, as a sort of a, a way to deep in self-awareness and the strength of relationships. So like, I don't know if you know this from before, but I am kind of a crazy animal person. Like I, nothing personal, but I like animals more than people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It's just like, I, I went through a couple of experiences. There's a, there's a, have you ever heard of like equine leadership? 
Great. Okay. So not, therapy, yeah. yeah. So there's a version of it that's for coaching. That's hmm. not necessarily for therapy, but it's, it's working with horses to learn about leadership. So I got to participate as a participant with a bunch of the other coaches from evolution. Uh, it was in the summer. Hmm. And so basically, do you know anything about horses? Have you been, a, are you a horse person? Uh, there were horses on my farm and I That's worked on I horse. my first job was at a horse farm. Okay. So, you know, horses, like I, I thought you did. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about, so, you know, horses are highly sensitive to energy and you can have this like insane symbiotic relationship with them if you can really connect with them and, mm-hmm. and be really present. So what this, what this, it's really hard to describe this equine leadership thing, but basically you're in a ring with a horse and you set an intention around a goal, maybe something you're working on in your leadership or your life. And you work with a horse energetically to explore that thing. So they don't have a lead on or harness or anything. You know, they're basically in there with intention. You're inviting the horse to do something with you, mm-hmm. which like, I can't, it's like, I wish I could put you in the ring so you could experience it. Cause it's so incredible, but it's very hard to explain why it's incredible, but it just is. So, mm-hmm. so I did that and I've decided that I really want to bring some of the leadership teams that I work with in to do that. And I also just signed up to get certified. So I'm going to become a certified equine leadership coach. So that's like one version of the animal thing that I'm super stoked about is working with horses. Uh, the other one is uh, there's a place called wolf connection, which is in kind of, it's in sort of the North part of Los Angeles County where they rescue wolves and they also have an at risk youth program. So they bring at risk youth in because a lot of times the wolves have been abandoned and abused much like a lot of these kids. It's just this incredible program where they help these kids sort of connect with nature and, and Mm -hmm. sort of heal basically, but they also do leadership development programs too. So that's another thing on my list. I've actually just got my first client that agreed to go do a leadership uh, sort of session there. So, um, so do you know much about wolves? Uh, uh, I never know how much I know. I'll start listing things that people say I know a lot or, but in this case, I know a little, I know that they brought like in the the Northwest where they brought wolves back and then um, the wolves kept the populations more in check, which then stopped the erosion of a lot of different things. Right. They, they definitely play a, a critical role in the healthy maintenance of ecosystems. And they've got a horrible rap. Like I get so pissed off when they're characterized as these evil manhunter, you know, in movies, it drives me crazy. But anyway, the, the bottom line is that a lot of time, you know, they are definitely pack animals and people think the alpha is the most important one. And that's just not true. So each wolf plays a particular part and is equally important, like the whole needs of the individual. So it's incredible for, you know, if you've got teams, for example, where one group or one person might think they're a little bit more important than others, really good experience to see how the pack operates together. And on the flip side, if, if people are too consensus driven, the other thing that wolves like demonstrate is that you do your job. Like you don't like, if you're a nurse wolf or you're the alpha or something like that, you don't just like ask around to see what you should be doing. You do your job. Mm -hmm. So it's this great way to learn the balance between, you know, the whole and the individual's role. So that is what I'm super passionate about is like getting people into nature, like feeling that connection to nature and to each other. And. Oh, that's awesome. The, I can, I can definitely see the benefits, especially since, you know, people have been kind of, I mean, there was like periods of time where people weren't really allowed to go outside. Yeah. And uh, in general, I think people generally don't, um, feel connected to their world. They feel very disconnected, even though we have all this technology connecting us. I think there's like that emotional component. Like we would feel something different if we were in the same room with each other. Um, right. And I imagine it's a similar thing with animals. Well, I mean, this- I get to see animals all the time. So I get to cheat. You're lucky. 
Yeah, yeah. you're lucky. But the thing is, even like people, you know, in having to work at home, I think there's so many people that have like just built out their outdoor area and have actually spent more time even just in nature in their own backyards and have like, like, I don't know, like, I, I think I told you about this before. I've got like pet squirrels, like all my squirrels are named. And I had, I put a picture up of one of the squirrels once, like, I cannot tell you how many people like said, Oh, well, here's my squirrel. And here's its name. Like people know their squirrels now and they know their crows and whoever kind of lives in their little, you know, mini ecosystem. So I think that there has been more of a connection, um, to nature, even in those small ways. And also people are just relying on it. It's like, that's the thing that's kept people sane is being able to go outside and, you know, be in nature. So hopefully it's a good trend. Have you ever watched that, um, that Netflix uh, series called, I think it's called One Strange Rock or This Strange Rock. It's narrated by Will Smith. Oh my God, you have to watch it. Will Smith. I think it's called once yeah it's on netflix and basically it's 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 about essentially about the interconnectedness of of the earth told from the perspective of astronauts mm. um so first of all it's stunningly beautiful it's absolutely beautiful but also like it is basically impossible to watch it and not understand how everything connects to each other you you'd really have to try hard to not to not buy into it if you don't buy into it already mm-hmm no, I think uh, there was a, a paint, like people who go to the moon or see the earth, they, oh. they say that there's like a, an experience that they have. There's a name for it, but I can't remember what's on my head, uh, where like it changes them and they come back and they're it, like, yeah. they, they don't lose it, which is nice. There's like a painter who, who tried painting it and he was on the moon. He was also, I think the guy who uh, was singing, I'm running on the moon. Uh, oh. he, he sang, I'm running on the moon one day, like while <laughs> running on the moon. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so they were just like having fun up there, I think. That's, like, um, that's awesome. I don't know if they name that thing in this documentary. They might, but they definitely demonstrate it for sure. Yeah. And uh, well, all the animals that you're very excited about are ones that make sense because like crows are really smart. Like they they'll rem- remember people and yeah. they can imitate sounds. They also prank each other. Uh, crows will prank like they'll like mess with each other, other crows, yeah. um, which is kind of cool. And then I think horses are kind of like mirrors. So they like there's a I think there's a comedian named Cummings. She's like a really spindly woman and she's a comedian that did uh, equine therapy or uh, equine something. And when they first got her there, they had her go next to a horse without any of the stuff and say, get that horse to go to the other side and you can't touch them and you can't be, you know, do anything. And at a certain point she started walking very, you know, confidently and uh, the horse started following. And then she was like, Oh wow. The horse is following me. Got really excited. And then the horse was like, well, I'm not following you now. <laughs> right. Uh, um, and, yeah. And she went from, like leading a bunch of people and she was just saying yes to everybody, which is causing a lot of problems to being yeah. very good at like delegating and stuff. So the, the, the power of the therapies are, are, are quite, uh, quite good. I think from just like anecdotally from what I hear and you're, you're living it. So, I mean, I'm starting, you know, I'm very much at the infancy stage of it, but it's, it seems super powerful and just like, it's impossible. I think with, when you're with animals like that, you cannot stay in your head. Mm-hmm. You just can't, I mean, you can, but you find like how ineffective it is. So if you really want to get something out of it, you sort of have to like tap into other parts of yourself. So. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine space not when a wolf's staring at me. I'm just like, I'm going to pay attention it's, it's to you. Pretty hard. They're, they're yeah. pretty spectacular. I mean, it's just like, they're incredible creatures. And when they howl, Oh my God. So then they one howls and then they all start howling. And I literally have yet. So I go to this place quite a bit, this place wolf connection, which is an incredible org. Um, 
every single time they start howling, I start crying. I can't. It's just so like primal and beautiful and it's amazing. There was um there's this guy. I don't know why this makes me think of this, but in terms of like group dynamics, he was talking about how in like social groups, there's like one person that tries bullying or picking on another person, like mm-hmm. like in a group, usually. Mm-hmm. There's like that. I just call him the jerk. Like there's always like usually yeah. when I join a group, there's like one person I call the jerk. Mm-hmm. And um they just like they kind of like nip at you. Uh I have my own strategies for dealing with them. But anyway, so like he uh this group of people that he just met basically goes to Antarctica and um what he thought what he realized is that the person who was nipping at the other person was nipping at them because he if they felt that if they didn't they'd be the ones who were getting like pushed down right and when they got into that actual real world uh, environment um those were the like that person who was doing the nipping was actually the least effective or the person who was usually being nipped at usually is the one who's being the most effective mm-hmm. um so it's really kind of interesting yeah kind of reminds me of, like the the group dynamics and how it how it changes from like if you're like kind of stuck in like this electronic world and how people right. kind of like weirdly navigate that to if you get out in the in the, the real world and, and with real connections to the environment, yeah. um, like better things shift out. I always, I always wonder like how many people go their entire lives not knowing what makes them special. And if they're always surrounded by people in artificial constructs, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you still might find your way, but maybe like you're that person that always was being pushed down. And mm-hmm. so like you're just constantly getting that mirror of like you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. then you get exposed to equine therapy or working with wolves and you, you know, hear that like kind of echo back that ping back that lets you know that you have something greater inside you. Oh, um, that's, yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I was wondering about that. Like how, like, like I think uh, Ben Franklin had a quote, like many people die at 25 and then are buried like 50 years later, which is really sad. I think that's true. But also like, I don't know, I guess what it, what are your thoughts about why we're here? And like, do you have, do you subscribe to the idea that you come here to learn lessons or to have challenges or things like that? I don't know why we're here. I think that my version of like why life has meaning basically comes down to choice. I think like like choices define life, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't know why. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I don't necessarily either. Like I like, I really kind of like simulation theory. It makes a lot of sense to me that we're just some video game for some aliens, (laughs) but but don't get me started. I've also thought about how funny it'd be like if like if 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 we're not just biological creatures that you know we die we die and there's some kind of other life form or a soul or whatever. Like what if this is just like you know as a coach I always give my clients homework. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just, this is this homework. Like our coach just gave us some homework. Like okay, go down there and like you know deal with blah 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 and come back and let me know how it goes. Maybe maybe we're just doing some homework. There's a, a short story, I think, by the guy who made The Martian called Egg. And it's, I think it's by him. I think it's called Egg. And the con- the idea is like this guy dies. And the first thing he does is ask about his family. And he's talking to God. And mm-hmm. I'll spoil it. I don't care. Like, be, you basically find out like the, the guy is every per He's a little deity. He's like a little little baby God. And yeah. he's experiencing everyone on the planet. So when he gets reincarnated and then he'll be Janine and he'll be re- and then you'll, you know, and then all, be, all of them, all of yeah, them. And it's, yeah. Then he'll be reincarnated to Genghis Khan. So like every person who has right. lived or like, if you murdered someone, like you, like you were the murderer and you were the, the person doing the murder. So you felt like everything. everything. And so like, yeah. what, like, it's like, it's like in a, like a little simulation area to mentally mature, to become a God and then create a, a real universe. So maybe that, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Like all I know is that I'm pretty sure that nobody actually knows. That is one thing I'm pretty sure is true. 
Yeah. How would they know? I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. That's my point. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get, I don't know that we could have a whole podcast just on that topic, just exploring yeah. that strange concept. Mm-hmm. The um, well, in re- reference to what you're working on now uh, yeah. and what you're excited about, is there mm-hmm. anything like is that is it like publicly available? Is that like something that like the listeners can come check out if they're in that LA area, or like how to how can like people be a part of helping you with that? Oh, thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, just if anyone's interested in getting their themselves or teams out into nature with animals, just, you know, I know you're going to give my info at the end, uh, reach out. You know, the other thing is that depending on where you're physically located, there are, you know, equine leadership coaches all over the world, truthfully. So uh, I can always point people in the right direction. I think that there are also other, like the wolf place is in the Los Angeles area, but there are other wolf rescues and maybe they have similar programs. So if anyone's interested in any of it, like they can reach out and I will try to figure out a way to get them in touch with the right people. If I can't do something. Sweet. Reach out. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the idea is like, you know, it's the same leadership development stuff that we've been doing. It's just like bringing it outside, you know, taking, just adding this extra component to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I- I think it's awesome that there's not like a plateau where you gain enough, like if you gain enough experience, you can just help people and you don't like, like it's all about helping other people. Like you're constantly growing and trying new things so you can do even a better job of helping other people. So plateaus are kind of sad. So I'm glad that like it keeps going. Yeah. I don't, you know, the, there's a concept in coaching called um, self as coach or self as instrument, which is pretty fundamental to how, to be a coach when basically means like, do not ask your clients to do what you're not willing to do. Like you mm-hmm. have to develop as a, as a coach constantly and be highly, highly like self-aware because you don't want your own crap to basically, you need to be able to tell the difference between you and your stuff and your client and their stuff. And, um, and also just be aware of, you know, your reactions, like if a client does something and it's the kind of thing that's super triggering for you, which I know we're going to be talking about EQ, it's something that's very triggering to you. You need to be able to manage that. So the selfless coach and self-development pretty much good. Like, I don't know a coach that does not, is not constantly like learning, doing new things, reading new books and things like that. And if you have a coach that doesn't do those things, I'd be like, mm, be a little yeah. worried about that. There's a, a TV show that uh, my wife and I just finished watching called Ted Lasso. I think you'd like it. Oh, it's about a, it's about a coach. It. Oh, you do? I okay, yeah. I love yeah. Like, kidding me. Ted Lasso's like made me happier in the last year than I think I've been about ever, anything else. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah. We're disappointed um, with the season two ending because I know. Guy. I he was know. Such a, but it was building, you know. Uh, we won't spoil anything. Guys, check check it out. It, uh, you have, people have Apple. To watch Ted Lasso for sure. Um, Brene Brown just had the actress that plays the therapist on her podcast as well. Mm hmm. If you liked it, she's like, she's obsessed with Ted Lasso. She's, she's interviewed everybody on that show, basically. Mm-hmm. She should, uh, well, I heard it came from a commercial, like the show, there was like a commercial that was made and then it was just like Ted Lasso was like a character in the commercial and people liked it so much that they made a TV series from it. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's- my wife was telling me that. I don't know if she was like pulling my leg or not. So if, it, if it's not true, it'll be funny, but I think it's, it's probably I- true. My wife doesn't lie to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it like, it has like, you know, you always wonder like where do things come from? And yeah. so like Ted Lasso might've come from a, a, a commercial or something. Oh, that's so interesting. I did not know that. Wait, you made me think of something else I'm excited about. Can I say? One sure, yeah. Like, yeah. So another thing I'm excited about is uh, we have a coach training program. So we certify people at meaning at evolution where I'm a coach, we certify people to become coaches and we just kicked off a new cohort. And that's just something I just, I'm so stoked about. It's just so incredible. Like, I feel like that's one of those things that has exponential impact, you know, 
like the more people out there that are doing this work, the better the world's going to be. So that's something else I'm super excited about. And, and a big part of it is that concept of self as coach. That's what reminded me. Hmm. That's the yeah. most fundamental thing and probably the most challenging thing for people to learn. Is it, is it, um, is it like a full-time thing or like, are people able to give like a fractional percentage of their week to coaching? Like oh, how, yeah. how, how would people approach it? I guess. Well, the, the training program is, you know, it's all virtual and there's certain mm-hmm. points. So it's just like taking any other kind of a class, you know, it's definitely people, most people are working full time. Yeah. And then how people approach coaching is really different. Some people, you know, do it on the side. So they have a full-time job and they coach a few people on the side. Some people like me, I'm full-time. And then there's also internal coaches. So there might be like, you know, a chief people officer or somebody in a company that does leadership, you know, L&D. So learning and development. And they learn how to be coaches because they want to do coaching programs internally. Okay. So it's all, all over the place. And that, that'll be fun on your website, right? Yeah, that's on the evolution. Okay, sweet. All right. the, the specific link for that will be in the show notes as well for people yeah. who are excited for that. Um, yeah. Well, speaking about coaching, I, I, yeah. good segue. Um, yeah, I try. So I'm always, I'm always, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm always curious um, of the like extremophiles, I guess. So like for people that you've coached that have gone from, you know, zero to a hundred, you know, really effectively, like what were some of the things about that person or about the coaching that allowed you to help them so well? Like how, like how did that person go from wherever they were to that extreme state of, 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 of growth? Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately, like, I think it's two things popped in mind. One is just the chemistry. Like you have to trust your coach. You have to have good chemistry with your coach and trust them just like much like in a therapy relationship. And the other thing is just plain and simple, like either a decent self-awareness or the ability to grow it and doing the work, like doing homework, like actually doing what you need to do as opposed to, I want to make a change here. And then two weeks later, you have another call nothing has happened. So it's really, it comes down to the person's commitment. I think. Mm. I'm always surprised by people who don't do the homework. Like, uh, yeah like, like when they're trying to do hard things how often i say like 60 percent of the people that i talked with that mm-hmm. do hard things they're not just the but the people i interview but like just in general i talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. and i like 60 percent of the people when you i'll ask much of questions we'll get to the point where it's like okay where are you doing like the little things to get you there and they, they don't do it they just they show up expecting yeah. the result to happen without doing the things that make the result happen it's really weird I- it is, it is. And it also isn't because you think about like, um, a lot of the, the ways that we learn to function, maybe all of the ways that we learn to function, they're almost all predicated on how we grew up and how we sort of learn to survive and function in that earlier stage of life. And even if you consciously think you want to make a change and you're committed to it, you know, these, these like old groove patterns and habits are there and, and there's a fear that if you let them go, survival is at risk. Sounds so like dramatic, but it's true. And so even though you might act and think that you want to make a change or act like you can think like you want to make a change, there can be things holding you back. There's a, um, oh, what is it called? Immunity to change. There's a book called Immunity to Change in a Model, which is around essentially conflicting goals and really digging into if you're saying you want to make a change, what are the beliefs and mindsets and things that might be really kind of deeply buried that need to get unearthed and reframed so that you can actually make the change you want to make. So, and if anybody's stuck with that, haven't checked that book out. Sweet. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask for some books or some strategies to help with that. Cause 
Uh, I mean, it's a large segment of the population that uh, it is. I mean, it really is. And the other thing to think about, like when coaching, so people come to coaching for different reasons. So there might be somebody that, you know, comes because they like they're a CEO and they need a trusted advisor just to be their person. Right. And it could be that there's like a specific leadership gap. So, you know, you're like a, you know, an SVP at a company and you're really bad at delegation or you're really bad at having hard conversations. So you want to work on a specific skill, but you seek out a coach for that. And then there's the punitive version of it, i.e. get a coach, you're going to be fired. So the, which happens, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it can be a great gift to the person, but only if the person is like committed, like you have to do the work. And that's a lot of times where the work doesn't get done. It's more like in, in those situations. Hmm. That makes sense. The, um, there's always an opportunity for growth. Uh, even, even if like you're being forced to do it, I mean, if it's free, like <laughs> always, I know, but you know, if, I mean, if, it, the, if the, the company's paying for it, like, you know, why not have fun? Like, yeah, but uh, a lot of people just don't, they're, they're, you know, if, if you've gotten through life by not being self-aware and not dealing with stuff, you don't want to, yeah. it can yeah. be scary. You can just feel like stupid. It can feel woo-woo and all kinds of like adjectives you can assign to it. Yeah. I imagine it's probably quite like stratified, like, like layers of sediment on the planet. And when you're trying to move with all that weight on you, it's hard. Right. That's like, really, that's yeah. like, look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, every now and again, I do a good metaphor, but so I'm, I'm like, uh, is it like a buildup to like an earthquake or do you think that like, uh, it's like an incremental, like do five minutes. Like I, I'll always like that. You can, if you do 1% better every day, you'll do like three times better by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so is it like do big, is it like an earthquake? Like something has to build up to like cause a tectonic shift or do you think that like, there's yeah. like little tiny, habit building things that people could do to like move themselves in that trajectory. Yeah. I think both depending, Mm. you know, I think that the earthquakes, like the, the earth shattering experiences, excuse me, that some of us have forcibly propel you into growth. Mm. You know, you don't have a choice. Like you go through too many things and you're like running on fumes and barely functioning and you have to deal with it. Or somebody does something like, let's say, you know, you're, you think you're happily married and then your spouse leaves. Mm. Like you can't, you, I mean, you, something's going on and you have to deal with it. Right. So it might not be your choice, but you might be sort of essentially forced into it because of the choices of other people. Uh, Or, you know, it could be like you're laid off. Same thing. Like you think you have, you're doing awesome at work and then you find out that your position has been eliminated. Like you're forced to deal basically. So that's the, that version of it. And then there's a lot of people that are just like, you know, they're preemptive. They want to like, I want to make sure I'm going to be the, like, as we grow, I want to be the best leader I can be. I want to make sure I'm not missing things. And that, that tends to be slower. And also, I just think like there's people that are just like wired for self-awareness and self-development and others maybe that just aren't naturally wired that way. Mm. So that makes sense. I, I was when you made the wife comment, I was thinking of Ted Lasso and his wife. Exactly. See, I do not like his her, his wife. She's obnoxious. <laughs> she was so glad to be rid of him. She, like, was. she, she was. was. You know, there's like like a four hour. I'm sorry. There was like a four hour period. Where like she was like, have you signed the papers? And then the lawyers like messaging was like, I am, I was sleeping. Like he right. was calm right. down. Right. And he's like having yeah. bank attacks and stuff. So like she was uh, I don't know. Well, I think that character. like Ted Lasso again, without like spoiler alerting it, um it's a it's a good example of what we're talking about, right? Like he had massive change happen both in career and in his personal life. 
and, you know, was trying to just be himself and act like everything was okay. And then it just like, bam, you know, it just hit him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, always... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's, that, you know, that, that's all I'm going to say. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away. Watch the yeah. show. But... Yeah. No, I guess my response would have spoiled stuff. So I, I won't respond either. Um, are there, I'm always curious, like, uh, like Jungian archetypes, like in, in your coaching, have you, do you like see like kind of like in a meta way, like archetypes of people, like, are there like, you know, 20 type of archetypes, you know, whatever the number is like, have you yeah. other types of people that run around out there? Like in your experience, yeah. we're like, okay, this is this type of person. So I can kind of help them this way or you know, oh. that type of thing. Yeah. Like, well, do, do they exist? Of- yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think that they do exist. What, what it brings up is that we, when we do coaching, we use the Enneagram as our personality assessment and Enneagram is a very Jungian type uh, assessment, personality assessment. So there's nine types of people or, or, you know, when, when you have, have you ever done the Enneagram test? Do you know what you are? Have you ever done it? I don't think so. I think you recommended one to me, um, yeah. but I don't remember what, how I did. Okay. I'll have to redo it then. Basically, you know, you, there are tests out there. They're not highly, um, they're probably like seven, I think at most 75% accurate because there's a lot of nuances to the Enneagram. And, you know, I got certified recently in, in the Enneagram basically. And in that process, realize that like maybe in 40 years, I'll totally get it. Like it's very, very nuanced. So it takes, it really, you should really get typed with a coach that sort of knows what they're doing. Um, but the idea is that there are these nine types of personalities and based on what type you are and other influences that can include, you know, like your family of origin and, and, you know, things from your past that might affect how you show up, you get a really good sense of, you know, uh, what are your primary motivators, primary fears, you know, what happens when you're like firing in all cylinders versus like, it's just a normal day versus like you're in high stress. What are the things you need to be on the lookout for? So I, at this point can, you know, talk to people and I have a, you know, if I talk to you for a while, I'll, I'll start to get inklings. Like I'm pretty sure I know what type you are. And they're very Jungian in terms of like the archetypes, you know, there's like the challenger and the enthusiast and all these types that, you know, I'm sure the, the archetype names are different, but the characteristics are not super different. That's cool. Uh-huh. So it, is, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Young, young is fun to read. Um, I was, I, I recommend, you know, for people to check it out. Um, even though he's like a hundred years old, like it's like a hundred and twenty or something I'm, like that. Yeah, it's been I'm, a while. Well, the concept of the hero's yeah. journey comes up quite a bit in, yeah. in teaching well that com- yeah, and, and and you know, he was so heavily influenced by young and um that comes up in coaching just in terms of like the cycles of change and how people go through transitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we use that model or variation on it a lot in coaching. So, you know, it's two steps away from young, but it's basically him. Yeah. Well, I always like to see how uh, thoughts evolve over time. It's like the butterfly effect in real time. Right. Or like you, like you can kind of like chart it as it evolves. Um, yeah. Do you think there's uh, with your experience, I, this is like maybe like an esoteric question, but do you think there's like room for that to grow that you've experienced? Like, uh, like maybe there's like nuances of the nine that aren't currently being uh, tracked and assessed. Oh, maybe possible. Hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, certainly like I haven't, I've never kind of gone through the process of typing in an Enneagram where I felt like there was just simply not hmm. some variation that kind of made sense to that person. I mean, obviously everyone's an individual. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. I mean, also I think like, um, 
I don't know. Think, I, what just popped to my mind is like, let's, let's say there's people on the spectrum, like in what way would they, would that impact how they took the test and how they're typed? I have no idea, hmm. but there might be things like that. Like that. We just, you know, the, the, the people in society that we don't consider mainstream, therefore yeah. the, the answers are not mainstream possibly. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I kind of leading with the idea of, uh, questions like a meta question mm-hmm. um one of the things i always wonder about like what are people frequently asked questions so when you're coaching are there certain types of problems that tend to arise or f- certain types of questions that you like to ask or that you get asked during the process that you think um they just encounter a lot i'm always curious like uh like the frequency of things um yeah because it kind of implies a lot too which is kind of fun yeah um i'd say the most common theme is i mean it does really kind of come down to eq like something happens that really bothers the person or they're not good at doing and it's ultimately linked to some hidden something some hidden belief some hidden thing that triggers them that causes behavior that they don't want to do that comes up i think all i don't know i don't know if i can think of a single client where that's not really ultimately foundationally what's going on and is not something that's come up in coaching Makes sense. Um, don't go ahead. No, that I was just going to say, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's that ubiquitous. And I don't think there is. Hmm. So uh, I did, I did a cue to my audience and, uh, so, so they came back with some questions. Okay. Um, I limited it down the direction a lot, <laughs> uh, which is good, but that just means like there's such a need for this. Um, yeah. so, uh, one of the, one of the larger ones was apparently, uh, the, and I did like a frequency. This was like one of the ones that like a lot of people were asking in terms of concept, basically like letting people help you versus helping others. So mm-hmm. a number of my listeners find it really like they love helping people and the people mm-hmm. will be like, and I've experienced this as well. Like people are like help someone. They're like, Oh, I'll help you back. But like when it comes to like allow those people to help you as well, mm-hmm. um, they don't, it's like, it's a struggle for them to let them have, let them do that. So I'm right. curious, like how, do, how would you challenge them to, uh, you know, get, I don't get past that for whatever lack of a better word. Like how, like what, um, how do people, how can people go from like state of like, not like, I guess like doing it themselves versus like letting people help them. Right. Um, I mean, first of all, it's really common. <clears throat> Sorry about my throat. Um, I told you I'm fighting a little something. So it's very common. And I, what I would say is again, time back to, foundational like mindsets, beliefs, EQ, um, which we can talk about if you want to talk about what EQ is at all, but there, you know, what, what is the belief or mindset that's, that surrounds being helped? So maybe it is, you know, if I overgive, then I'll, there's less of a chance I'm going to be left. Or if I'm like, there's going to be less of a chance that I, you know, something bad's going to happen or something like that. A lot of times there's beliefs like that sort of lurking under the hood. And if I ask for something, then that's, you know, the person, again, there might be risk involved with that. What happens and what is the risk if somebody helps me out? Mm-hmm. Or it could be around looking stupid. Like if I need help or I'm not strong enough, I'm not, I'm going to, you know, if I can't figure this out on my own. What does that mean about me? So often it is like some belief that's just lurking under the hood that is driving the behavior. So that's what I'd recommend is to look for what that is and really explore it. Not just like, oh yeah, maybe that's a little scary, but really like dig into it and find out what's going on and ask yourself, is that true? That's one of my favorite questions. 
is that true? Because it's pretty infrequent that the things that we believe are based on actual facts or data. Sometimes they are, but sometimes those data and facts are really old. And the question is in this situation, is that true? So most likely what the answer to that question is, is I don't know, like you might have a couple of data points, but you don't necessarily know what they mean. And we really tend to make up a lot of stories in our head about, you know, X, Y, and Z, we'll make assumptions, we make, you know, we have opinions as opposed to it actually being factual. Is it, I found that sometimes when people write it down and get it out of their head, mm. that they'll notice the, the lack of data, you know, for lack yeah. of a better word. Is that like well, a good a, yeah. yeah, so I th- I don't know if you know this, but I was um, certified by, by Brene Brown as a Dare to Lead facilitator. And the Dare to Lead is, you know, she she's a researcher. Do you know her? Uh, I know that you were certified in that. Yeah. I'm a so, visual person. I'd have to Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no worries. Uh, so she's a researcher from the University of Texas. And she, a lot of people know her because she did a very famous TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability, which I think like 50 million people have watched or something like that at this point. And um, so she did research essentially to identify, you know, what constitutes courageous leadership. And there's some measurable um, skills that can be taught to achieve that. So one of them is a process called rising strong. And it's really what you just talked about where you like take a situation where you have been triggered. So you're basically spinning out like something, something happened and you had a big reaction to it. And so the first step is that you recognize that you're triggered. You recognize that something has set you off. So the difference between like triggering and just kind of being irritated is like something might happen and you get irritated and then it goes away. You know, when you're triggered by something, usually the reaction you're having is pretty oversized for the situation. It is a big reaction. And, you know, chances are you're spinning out about it a couple of days later, probably at like three in the morning. Cause like, that's when people like to spin out about stuff, myself included. So you're, you notice you're triggered. And then what you do is you dump it out on a piece of paper. And what uh, she calls that is, is a shitty first draft, which actually mm-hmm. comes from an author named Annie Lamott. It's her writing process. If you ever read anything by Annie Lamott. So the idea is you just like vomit what happened out on paper. No, you know, it can be stupid. It can make no sense. It's all the emotions. It's all the stories you're making up. You're just getting, getting it out on paper. And then the next step is you literally create two columns where you go through your shitty first draft and you, on one side, you list the data and the facts. And then on the other side, you list everything else. And what almost always happens is there's like two things on the data facts section and about 500 million things on the other side. And what that does, it just sort of like inherently can like ground you and get you in a better place to decide how do I want to either have a conversation about this or what I want to do about this based on the fact that I know two things. I don't know a lot of things. And so it's a, it's a great process to go through super, super positive way to get yourself in the right state of mind before you have a conversation, if that's what you want to do. No, I definitely see the benefit of it. Uh, I, I think uh, it's, it's so hard to recognize the ignorance around us, but like, I, like a fun quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson is like, the more you learn, the more you realize how ignorant you are, like the surface area of your ignorance increases. That is true. Um, yeah. I know. I think that's where the the flip side of that is ignorance is bliss. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it kind of is. Yeah. And then uh, Ted Lasso would say chase your bliss. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see uh, how many times we can bring Ted Lasso into this. Cause I think yeah. the more time better. Yeah. Well, uh, 
I'll like uh, uh, transcribe the conversation and put it in the show notes yeah. and, and let's see like if Ted Lasso, like the SEO <laughs> is like, this is more right. known for Ted Lasso. <laughs> maybe, maybe that should be our goal of this conversation is like, if we can get like, how many people can we get to watch Ted Lasso that haven't watched it yet? And if it's a good enough number, then we've succeeded. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I, I will routinely like check out a show and then if it's good, then I'll get my wife into it. And I was watching like 10 minutes. So I was like, this is good. And then I stopped and like grabbed her. Um, so it's, it's, a it's, I, I highly recommend it guys uh, and ladies and everyone else out there. Um, it's a great show. It's, it's, yeah, it it's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, Tetsu, you know, I don't know if Led Tasso would be uh, someone <laughs> like it worked in that one sense, like that one episode. It, uh, you guys will see in like the first like five episodes. No, wait, no. I think it's on season two. All right. Uh, Ted Lasso. I, Led Tasso. Remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Like basically it's like Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso decides to be mean. And so he has like an alternate right. personality. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, yeah, we'll, let's see like how many times we can quote it. And then like everyone who knows can just like make fun of us. There's certain body positions where when you're in them, it's impossible to feel certain things and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So if you're like doing the particular body pose of power, it's really hard to feel shy and, you know, like how you'd feel if you were kind of imploding on yourself. Oh yeah. Posture's a, a, a cool one as well. There's uh, some people I know that like, they, they tend to be a little bit more like uh, hunched. I was like, Oh, just like stand up straight and see how you feel. Right. Um, and then like watch the people around you, the people that are hunched. How do you think they're feeling? Exactly. Um, but no, I, I was referencing someone from Ted Lasso, uh, but, uh, well, but, but they got it from Amy Cuddy. I yeah, mean, yeah, that yeah. Is, right. That's a direct reference. Yes. Of course. Good job. You did it. You did a fun <laughs> job because you did the Ted Lasso reference, but, yeah. but it does come from Dr. Amy Cuddy. Sweet. Um, all right. So the last question on the, on this section is, um, so apparently, uh, a number of my listeners have this thing with procrastination and perfectionism. They, I think it's, it's the way it sounds, sounds very linked. Um, mm-hmm. so they, they like, they want things to be well, but then, then they like, it gets stuck in their head. So then they don't do it because yeah. then they think, but I don't know, like I have the same problem, but then I just start doing it. Like I'll like, I'll be like, I'll do it for two minutes. Then I'll do like eight hours of it. Um, so that's my way of getting around it. But I'm curious, like, for people who are struggling in that procrastination, wanting things to be good, like how, what are good ways to break out of it and um, yeah, you know, identify that in themselves so they don't keep doing it? I think that might be a book because um, one person that you coached, uh, the Kona people, I think they recommended a book that you recommended. But um, uh, like, so how would you, what are some taxes? I want to know which one, which one do they recommend? Uh, um, I know which one I recommend. It might have, I don't know if, if it comes to me, I'll let you know. Well, there is essentialism, which is about knowing what to say no to. So that you have time to say right yes to the right things, which is maybe like a cousin to what you're talking about. But there's a couple of things that pop up. It's like one is, you know, again, the beliefs underneath it. Like what is underneath the per- it's not like an easy fix, but if it's the kind of thing where if you're continually finding yourself in this loop of procrastination and, and trying to be perfect, what is the belief system under that? You need to unearth it and you need to figure out its roots and you need to change it in order to create a new set of actions. So there's this fundamental model we use at evolution which is called be, do, have. So the idea is you've got your current state and that is predicated on things you are doing or not doing. And sometimes when we want to make a change, like you're, you know, you're talking about, you just make a change at that action level. Like, well, that's not what I want. So I'm going to do this instead. And I'm going to create new results. But the problem is if you do that and then like two weeks later, two months later, whatever, you're back to the same thing. So think about like the gyms on January 1st and then gyms mm-hmm. on January 31st, right? 
So if you're finding that you're you're butting up against the same thing again, that's when you want to go down to that B level. So what is what are the beliefs and mental models and values and things that are driving your current actions, which in turn are driving your current results? And you want to make a shift at that level to create a new mindset, new mental model, et cetera, to yield new actions. And then in turn, you get your desired results. So that's like, there's no light switch solution. You have to like dig into it and see what's going on there. And question, is it true? Maybe do a, a rising strong process to really question the validity of the, you know, the situation and get to a new state. The other things are that pops in my mind is like with anxiety, which, you know, we've talked about before, a lot of people are feeling a, a very high state of anxiety right now uh, because of the last year and a half of what the, what the F, you know, right. And um, so different people deal with action differently, depending on the kind of anxiety. So some people in heightened states of anxiety, they shut down action and some people do. So I'm an action biased person. Like I function and manage my anxiety by doing things. I actually use it like as a strategy, you know, cause I think we talked about this. I have complex PTSD. So I, I'm, I have learned a lot of ways to manage my anxiety. One of them is like actually by doing things. There are other people that feel anxiety and that will force them to shut down and procrastinate more. So maybe part of it is like dealing with actually what's going on at root cause in terms of brain chemicals and whether it's a circumstantial thing or, you know, chronic thing, dealing with the anxiety and acknowledging it as opposed to pretending like you should be okay when you're not yeah. something that people might need to do. And then sometimes, you know, the more like if you're in a hurry and you're like, you, you, you know, you need to just get crap done, like get an accountability partner that works really well for people. And I think there's a lot of research out there that shows that habits are formed if after 21 days of repetition, it creates new neural pathways. So you might just need to force yourself to do it. If you don't want to do all the deeper work, just force it, you know, but I'd say like, especially with perfectionism, also procrastination, there's almost always something underneath that, you know, that's driving the impulse. Mm -hmm. There's a, a book. Let's see if I have it behind me. Uh, there's a habit book. I think it is behind me. It's called um, Power of Habit. It's actually really good at deconstructing like how habits are made and stuff. Nice. Um, they, they use uh, examples from uh, marketing and sales to illustrate the points. So I definitely yeah. recommend that book, The Power of Habit. And it'll be in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, habits are powerful things. There was an example in the book that I, I really loved where there's a, in Kuwait, there was a sequence of events that led up to people basically rioting. And so this commander came in and he... And he noticed that so people would come into the square and then these like food vendors on their little kiosk would come out at like seven mm -hmm. and then people would be like, okay, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. And then at like 10, they would, you know, riot. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, uh, can we ban the people like the kiosk people from being in that area for this period of time? They're like, yeah, sure. And so um, they left those people out. And so at that time when people thought or were used to eating or they would need food and it wasn't there they would then go home and then there wasn't rioting. So like just changing that one environmental thing, stop this right. And then the people who just wanted to protest in a healthy way were able to do that. Um, so like, I thought that was really cool that like habits huh. have like a lot of power just in a meta way of looking at the world and seeing like how things happen. Yeah. That's so interesting. That yeah. sounds, what, what book is that in? Is that in the book you just talked yeah, about? The power of habit. Nice. Yeah. Cool. It's really Check good. It. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you the uh, Amazon link to it. Um, awesome. So uh, moving into eco leadership, the, so first, I think a lot of people 
when they experience good equal leadership, they might not even know it because it's such a subtle and yet powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, what are the core tenets of it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should, could I, should I start with like a, just a little overview of EQ at the most yeah. fundamental level? Like what it so, so EQ was the, um, basically pioneered by a guy named Daniel Goleman, who used to be a professor at UCLA when he did it. And the idea is that it stands for emotional intelligence. That's what the EQ stands for. And um, there are stages to building emotional intelligence, two of which are self-focused and two are focused on once you sort of built that foundation, focused on like how you have, how you relate to others, basically. So the, the fundamentals of it are that you build self-awareness around what these things are that trigger you. So I, we talked a little bit about that a, a moment ago, but the idea is that there are things that set us off reliably. So it could be that somebody has like a really different work style than you. Like, let's say you are um, a planner and you're working with somebody that is like, you know, it's midnight the night before you're doing a presentation, like, oh, let's start working on this. And you're just like, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And I would be, I'd be, by the way, one of those people, I do not like last minute stuff at all. Um, or, or it could be, you know, take that ubiquitous example of somebody leaving a toothpaste cap off on a counter. Like who cares? Like it's obviously not a big deal, but it can just feel like, you know, you make up all kinds of crap about it. Like they hate me. They don't care about how I feel. Da, 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 right. So you get triggered. And what happens is there's an emotional response to that. So you're having an emotional response to a situation. And then what happens physically is that um, your brain perceives it as an emotional threat. And the brain responds identically to a physical threat. So meaning if you had two fMRIs going of two people, one who you know, was just had their partner leave a toothpaste cap off and one that had you know, a car about to hit them, the same parts of their brain would fire up. Hmm. So it's a more primitive part of the brain, you know, its, it's job is survival. So not the part of your brain that you want running the show as a leader or as a human, when you're about to have a hard conversation, give feedback, be innovative, make a decision, like basically never, like it's, you know, it's, it's focus is survival. And then, so what happens is when that part of your brain kicks in, the sympathetic nervous system comes into play. So you, um, your heartbeat might start, you know, beating super fast or your breathing is shallow or your, you know, gut gets all clenched up. Uh, and then so you have the you have the trigger, you have your reaction, and then we all do something. And those are called reactive behaviors. And they typically will fall into fight, flight, or freeze categories. So depending on who you are and what your background is, you might go into you know literal fight mode, you might become a bully, you might start yelling, you might shrink and withdraw. So there's all kinds of reactions. And the idea with emotional intelligence is you want to become aware of those things that trigger you. And your body can be like this amazing early warning detection system because that that sympathetic nervous system piece of it happens like a split second before you react to behavior so i.e like oh you're sitting in a meeting somebody like interrupts you or or cuts you off you're triggered and then you notice that your heart's like pounding in your chest like like hello you need to take a breath like don't do anything that's your warning to do some kind of a what we call shift move like something essentially to reground your nervous system before you do the reactive behavior so that's in a nutshell, sort of what the, what the deal is. And, and those shift moves can be like a billion things, you know, breathing is one, I've got this amazing breathing gift I can send you if you want. Uh, there's research out there showing if you just do some deep breathing, it's called box breathing for like two minutes, even one minute, you'll notice a difference, but two minutes reset the nervous system. But, you know, you can also pet a dog, you can go for a walk, you can cook, you can call a friend, like everybody has their own thing. 
it's just a question of, you know, it's, it's a little hard when you're actually in a meeting to say, excuse me, I need to go for hiking for a couple hours. I'll be back and I'll talk to you then. So you can always breathe in the moment, but the idea is you need to know what are those things that can reset my nervous system. Mm-hmm. That's sort of EQ in a nutshell. Uh, any questions on that before I kind of, no, I think, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I definitely would love the gift. Okay. All right. So, so in leadership, you know, really what it means is that the leader has an understanding of those things. Like they know the things that will trigger them. They know the way that their body is going to react when they're triggered and they're able to regulate themselves and use a shift move so that they are at choice about how they react versus doing those habitual reactions. So very simple, not easy, but very simple concept. That's all it means. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you'll, how you'll notice that in leaders, you know, if you're working for a leader that has a high state of emotional intelligence, they'll be very curious. They'll be very open. They will be open to new data and new ideas and new information, as opposed to being super rigid, closed off, uh, you know, my way or the highway, um, shut down, things like that. So those, you're not going to see the, what we call powerless behaviors. You're going to see powerful behaviors, which mean you're grounded, you know, you're able to give feedback, you're able to be direct and kind, you're able to, you know, again, like, uh, be curious and ask for more information and also admit when you don't know something. So you're much more capable of being vulnerable if you have a high state of EQ. Mm-hmm. No, I think, um, I think that a couple people that come to mind as like uh, touch points for people who maybe haven't worked with someone like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Elon Musk apparently has like pretty good branding for this where um, when he first was hiring people for Tesla, he'd go up and sit down with them and ask them tons of questions. And then at first, like some of them were like, oh, he's, he's trying to grill me, make sure I know my stuff. But then they realized, no, he's trying to learn my stuff because right. he wants to, you know, he's so excited about it. And then there was right. like a free flow of communication where anyone could talk to him yeah. um, and stuff like that. Or anyone could talk to anyone. Like he didn't want to like talk to your boss and that boss does that stuff, which right. is, uh, I think a bit obnoxious if, <laughs> if you have that type, I mean, if there's like HIPAA stuff, I guess, you know, like if there's like, you know, right. uh, like the government makes you, I guess, but like that, that sounds really horrible, especially <laughs> when you have an idea and you're really excited about it. Like you just yeah. want to tell someone. Right. Um, so he seems like a pretty good example of someone uh, who, who does this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the, the power of it, like the benefits uh, are like people, people are treated well and then they do well. Where like, if you do in the opposite, like sometimes people are like, I need to control everything. And they're like, like they're aggressive micromanagers, I guess, you know, it's like, but like right. an extreme, like, uh, or they're yeah. like rude and all these other things. I would say like Steve Jobs is a good example of someone who's like, he was a bit of a jerk, but he was like successful despite those things. I don't think those right. things helped him be successful, at least in terms of like how he treated his team. Maybe like being a jerk to other businesses was effective. Um, Cause then they could take advantage of him or something. I don't know. But, like, um, but yeah, so like the, no, go ahead. What were you saying? Uh, I don't want to cut you off. You wanna finish? Oh, I was just saying like the, the benefits are like you and your team will do better. That yeah. like, that's a leadership thing. And as a team member, you'll be able to fail and not feel like I'm going to get fired. Mm-hmm. Like there's this great Hewlett Packer story where a guy cost the company $500,000. Mm-hmm. He was like, I guess I'll go pack up my stuff. And he was like, why would I, why would I fire you? I just, right. we just spent $500,000 training you, you know, like this okay. is a different thing. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, waste five hundred thousand dollars but you know it's a different way of yeah. looking at things like accidents happen let's learn from it i think chris a really dynamic environment where people can do better yeah. um and if you so, haven't experienced it definitely work towards i think it's like the, the thing there but yeah yeah 
So if you if you Google um, something like you know benefits of of high EQ and leadership, you'll find a jillion studies. Like there's mm-hmm. so much data out there about you know higher levels of innovation, higher levels of performance, higher levels of financial results, higher levels of employee engagement, lower levels of turnover. Like literally all the things you want can be tied to high EQ. Mm-hmm. So like when you talk about Steve Jobs and his, you know, it's funny, I know somebody that reported to him directly. He's like, yeah, I was fired three times. You know, it's like there, there can be success, but it tends to be shorter term. Mm -hmm. So the question is like, do you want short-term success and, and, or do you want long-term more holistic success? So that's gotta be maybe part of the decision. Um, And then what else about, there was something you just said that I wanted to comment on. I don't remember what it was, but the bottom line is like, do it because it pays off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. just that in in myriad ways, you know. The an environment where most people think that you wouldn't have this type of setup is the military. But I just uh, I I read a book about a month ago called yeah. Extreme Ownership, which also touches on like a lot of these concepts we're talking about. Yep. And it's basically like this. This guy was like, he would. Uh, Jacko Willick and his friend wrote this book and it's basically like he would establish the what and why and then he'd have his team do the how and he was like there as a resource like if the if you're like telling the person who's doing it how to do it then yeah. what you know like that that person's an expert in it, and like you don't need to do that um, right. so it's, a, it's a fantastic book that I think shows that in um, every like high performing environment that implements this type these type of strategies types of concepts it works mm-hmm. out like his team was like the most effective SEAL team in the entire uh, Iraq Middle East. I think it was like very, very like highly effective. Yeah. Um, there's, but- there's two things like, so Brene Brown, that same researcher I told you about, she wrote this book, Dare to Lead, which I mm-hmm. highly recommend to anybody. And in that she's, she's worked with a lot of military leaders and talks about, you know, how they exemplify basically more than any, any other group of people, how impossible it is to function without courage and being able to be vulnerable. Like it's impossible so Brene Brown's definition of, of vulnerability, which comes from her research, is um, what we feel in times of um, risk, emotional, uh, basically in states of emotional risk, mm-hmm. uncertainty, things like that. And so can you ever think of anything in the military ever where you're not in a state of risk or emotional uncertainty? So, yeah. um, so there's some great stuff there. And I'm just reading this a book right now called Made to Stick which is about uh, sort of communicating in, in highly effective ways. And it's by, I've got it right here, Chip Heath and Dan Heath, a couple of brothers. I think one of them is a Stanford professor and I don't remember about the other one, but they also have reference to um, military, you know, how, how the military effectively communicates like when they're essentially delegating, like I forgot the terminology, but there's a term for it. And it means like in like one sentence or less, what is the objective we're trying to do here? And then it's up to the, whoever's commanding the actual thing to figure out how to do that. They're not, you know, they're not dictating what has to happen. So it's interesting. There was a book that you referred me to a while ago. What was it about? Well, I know you read Never Split the Difference. I think you enjoyed that one. Never Split the Difference, right. And that also had reference to the military. So yeah, the military, like they put a lot of effort into it because they, I I think essentially, because like when they are out in in the real world doing their thing, they can't think about this. It's like, oh, how's my EQ doing? Like this has to be hardwired into how they function. Mm -hmm. um, An interesting... uh anecdote is that when the Soviet Union fell in the early 90s mm-hmm. that uh, they they 
the military would come over and meet our military. And they were so surprised that you'd have like one platoon leader guy person and then like a hundred people underneath them or whatever it is. Where because in the Soviet Union, you'd have like one person and there'd be a person in charge of watching that person. And then there'd be a person in charge of watching that person. And there was like all these like political adjuncts that were attached to the military. So there was just like, you didn't do anything without someone kind of just watching you do it. So there was a lot of fear there. There's a lot of like, with all that stuff going on, you have these people that could like potentially send you to Siberia at a, at a moment's notice. And right. they were like, they thought it was really interesting that and where they're from, you'd have to have someone constantly like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. When America's like, you know, these are objectives and they go out and do it like that, that free flowing in the military was like really stark to these uh, Soviet uh, leaders. That is, that's really interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, and they didn't do well. <laughs> so it's uh, kind, of, right? kind of an interesting parallel. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so for people who aren't in the Soviet Union uh, and they're like trying to, they're in, <laughs> and yeah. uh, they're trying to, you know, with this great resignation going on, find mm-hmm. their way into an organization that expounds these benefits. Yeah. I know that I know there's, whether, whether you're applying for a place or you're looking for a member of the team, um, mm-hmm. there's like a level of like, these are the things you say because these are how people are taught to say them, like almost like conditioning. Like if I said it this way, people wouldn't like me, whatever. So like when people are applying for a place, how can they know that this place actually cares about these values versus just saying these values? Right. So yeah, so a lot of companies will put their values up. I mean, it used to be in the kitchen back when we had kitchens, but you know, they're usually at least on the career part of a page. So the way to do it is not to say like, let's say, let's say company lists, you know, honesty is a core value, which everybody does, right? Or integrity, like those, you know, literally, I think every company is like, oh yeah, integrity. Um, so there's a couple of things I would suggest asking. One is, you know, what does that value mean to you? What does that word mean to you? Because you say the word honesty and that can mean really different things to different people. So the person should be able to express in that company, what does that word mean? Like I know psychopathic liars that have the core value of honesty. So <laughs> ask what the word means, number one. And then um, ask about, you know, can you give a recent example of when that value was operationalized at the company? So you're looking for not just like, yeah, you know, we just like to really give transparent feedback. Like, no, you're not looking for like vague because if they can't give an example, that is a probably a red flag that they don't totally walk the talk to be able to give an example, you know, they, like an example is I was in a meeting last week and, you know, there were dissenting opinions and I was really scared to say my mine, but, you know, this is a core value of ours. So I decided to put it out there. And as a result, there was more dissension, but we ended up coming to the right decision, the best decision in the situation because I did it. So it should be like, you should be able to give an example. So that, that's probably the best way to suss it out. You know, you can certainly go on things like Glassdoor and take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But I, for the most part, that information, if you see trends, they're there for a reason. So I would employ things like that. Yeah. I think those are, are, are great strategies. And they're, they're similar strategies that you do for the hiring as well. Like if you say, are you a hard worker? You know, uh, everyone's going to say yes. You know, it's like talking to a doctor. Are you, do, do you make medical decisions using data like they're never going to say no <laughs> exactly i actually like I, i've worked with some clients and i am a mentor for tech stars for example and i did a program with them where i talked about you know literally gave my rubric for how do you assess a person's responses around values alignment 
So, you know, zero, like a zero being, they don't even know what you're talking about to five. They can very clearly express into a specific example of when they put that value into action and it aligns with how you view that particular value. So um, you definitely have to do that on both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. I, when we were doing our hiring and we went from like two to 20 over the course of a couple months, I had like an Excel spreadsheet where we had like different things we wanted to get and express. Mm-hmm. But so I'm always looking for metrics that people can use. Is that the, the metric that you just listed? Is that something available online that people can check out? I don't think so. I kind of made it up, but, okay. if, but I, I'm happy to like, I can, I don't mind sharing that. It's totally fine with me. I'm more, the more, the more it's out there, the better. Just yeah. remind me and I'll send it over. Sweet. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, you know, similarly you could take that and invert it and look at it from the, empl- uh, from employee applying standpoint, because the values that people look for in an employee are also typically the values that people look for, uh, in employment, like right. everything that we're talking about. Right. Um, I think usually like a lot of people just feel like they can't ask those questions when they're being interviewed. Um, right. Which you- is Cause like, how do you know if the, like that, one of the big things that I did was like, I wanted them to ask questions and I made yeah. it like clear, like we want you to know what we're about. And that like, it was like a two way street of surface area so that you could like kind of digest like yeah. what, how real things are. Um, Makes sense. You know, nothing occurred to me that's good about having some kind of a rubric is that, you know, in terms of if you have goals around diversity and inclusion and equity and things like that, it's important that, you know, you, you don't allow bias to creep into the mix as much as possible. Your goal is always to get the best person and also to remove as much of the bias as possible in the process. So by having a rubric where everybody that's asking particular questions is following that same sort of way to sort of judge responses, it helps to reduce some of the bias. Now, there's a book called Work Rules, which is basically this guy who helped uh, scale Google's hiring and mm-hmm. how they did an assessment. Eventually they got to a point where they just started assessing their assessments and they realized no. that the, oh, you read that? No, I, I just was laughing. No, go ahead. Yeah. I have to so the, I'd recommend it. So it's really good. The, um, they, they noted that when they tried to predict if a guy would be successful, they were like pretty okay with it when they try to predict. So let's say like, you know, guy, guy, a would highly predicted to do well. They'd be like, yeah, it, it most likely works out. And when they tracked it, but with a woman, they would say, you know, yes or no, they had like no ability to track if that person was going to be successful. Like a lot of people, they were like, we're hiring them, but like, we kind of think they're not going to do well. Um, they would actually end up doing the best. Like, so they had like no ability to track people who are not men. <laughs> and so they were like, try to like build in all these different systems in uh, yeah. to better like track that. Cause that's, I mean, that's like half the population that you're undervaluing. Right. Well, I mean, did you see that? What was that show that was, I think it was a Netflix show on, oh, Persona. Did you see that? Uh, No. So it's a Netflix show, basically assessing assessments like the, like pre-employment assessments and things like that. And how they're so skewed based on who they're written by, as well as who they're originally written for. And so that's kind of a variation on the theme, Mm -hmm. you know? It's impossible yeah. for an assessment to be written without the filter of the person writing the assessment. Yeah. So they probably should be made with like a committee then. And Maybe. Then, and then like hand it off to an independent party. That something, are like something certified in it. Yeah. Something more than what's been done so far. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think they tra- they changed it. So they, they had a better uh, track record. But um, so for people who are at a place that maybe doesn't have these values very mm. well, um, maybe like Apple under Steve Jobs as one example, but, um, how can <laughs> yeah. they, how can they be like ambassadors for encouraging this in the 
I think, yeah. I think a lot of times people feel like they can't do anything, like they're in an environment and it's not great. Mm. Um, they just feel like they're stuck with it. And, yeah. and that's, what's really cool about the, um, the extreme ownership book. They talk about how to lead up, which I think is really powerful because a lot of people that I know that get in those environments, they just leave. They're just like, okay, I got in here. I have a paycheck, but I'm going to definitely leave because like they don't have these characteristics. Right. Um, but then he talked about how like that's an opportunity to like bring those characteristics there. So I'm curious, like how, um, how could people in those environments, um, you know, be ambassadors for these types of um, principles? Yeah. So, I mean, just like what you're saying, just model it. You know, yeah. you, you always have some influence, whether you're, even if you're an IC, you can influence the team members you work with by demonstrating, you know, strong emotional intelligence. Uh, or if you are managing even small teams, you can show it by showing, you know, demonstrating EQ behaviors with the people that you're managing. And, you know, if people start to see success from that or experience it, they might be more inclined to want to do it. Uh, there's a couple of things though. One is that there, there has to be actual safety in an environment. So you can't expect, you know, you can't say, oh, we want everyone to feel a safety to fail here. And then you have a culture where it is not safe to fail. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. That's, that's actually worse than if you just kept your mouth shut. Yeah. So, you know, there actually has to be a, a safety to do that. And there are, you know, beyond just cultural aspects of a company, there's also, you know, societal power dynamics at play. So, it might be safe for me as a white woman. If I were a black woman, maybe it wouldn't be safe. Yeah. And I think we can't like just pretend that that does not exist in this situation, but I would say in general, like try to model it, uh, try to, you know, bring it up to people. If they see success, they might be like, well, what are you doing? And then it, it could maybe infiltrate throughout. The other thing that occurs to me is like, if you're, there's this great model that I don't know what the source of it is, but it's called CIA, which stands for control, influence, and accept or adapt. And the idea is if you're feeling really stuck in a situation, you kind of go through a reflective process where you're like in this situation, what can I control or not? And then the next step down is, you know, based on what I can or can't control, what can I influence or not? And if I can't control or influence, what am I either willing to accept or adapt to? Mm -hmm. or not? So it gives you, you know, if you're feeling out of control, it gives you a sense of agency. It might, the, the decision might be, I'm not willing to accept this. And my agency is that I get to make a choice whether I stay or go. Yeah. But it's a nice process to go through. So you're not just feeling stuck in a, you know, sort of a situation where you feel like you have no choices. Yeah. I think it's always, I think that like illustrates how people have a lot more agency than they feel that they do. Um, like a lot of times people feel like they don't. And it's, it's you know, really sad to say, because like, you have so many choices, like, you know, like, and then if you don't have choices, well, let's work on getting you more choices. But, you know, um, even right. in that situation, it's like you can accept it or you can look for something else out there um, right. or build it yourself. Like, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I got into startups is like uh, mm -hmm. I was going in and out of the ICU and like, you know, people didn't like employing someone who did that. So, right. <laughs> so, I, you know, right. so I built my own environment, um, but that uh. was much more uh, reasonable to people. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I can, I know of this place. I, I just one example of a, a reader who uh, wrote to us, wrote me and, you know, but um, they, they, they have, they have a good leadership team. They're an mm -hmm. employee. Mm -hmm. uh, but the leadership team has like this, everyone has to be in the office thing, yeah. even though like uh, there's no reason for it. Right. And there's been like some things going on. And so it's like, how, like that person feels like, Oh, I can't do anything. I just have to like commute that the hour, like the two hours a day or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I think you have agency to, to have these conversations, but the model right. you, you've given, like definitely make sure there's like safety and stuff there. Um, Cause like, then it's like, you can't, you can't like 
trust that in bringing it up that you're not gonna have like retribution brought against you. Um, right. Exactly. I, can, I can totally imagine like as a leader, like having someone like, you know, below you kind of like muddling the waters in terms of like how you want things to be done. And like right. being an employee that notices that and like tries leading up, like it, it'll be seen and then it, it'll be changed. Cause then they, right. like people will, you know, hopefully want to change it. Cause like, these are things that you want. Like no one, like no one wants an organization that doesn't have these things. I think, I think people are just afraid and giving like having an organization like this, that it won't be successful. Cause they, they look at like Steve jobs, people that are like, you have right. to do it my way or the highway. And you know what? You didn't put a, a comma or, or a colon here in the code. Like how dare right. you, you know, it's like, right. right. Is it clean? Does it work? Is it reusable? You know, all these things like, um, look at the meta things better, but I also say for that leadership team, like that's another, you know, looking at that be, do have model, do they have belief systems that might need to be reexamined around, you know, if I don't see you, you're not working or whatever those things are. Like we work with some of our clients that are jumping into hybrid environments now, and they've had to look at that. Like, you know, they have people that for whatever reason, uh, well, can't get vaccinated. And they have a rule that, you know, they won't let people that have not been vaccinated into the office. So the leaders have to figure out a way to make it work in such a way that everyone is included and productive and can contribute. And if they have a, you know, a belief system that says you're not physically here, you're not working, they, they need to do something about that. That's the leader's job, not the employee's job. Yeah. Um, that actually goes to the last question. And uh, which is, you know, how can leaders build these habits into the into the fabric of everything and then um, constantly strengthen it. So it doesn't just, I think sometimes people think like you do, you set things up well, that they're just going to be well forever. <laughs> so oh, you got to yeah. do things to like, keep it alive. You got to feed it, you know, um, yeah. like organizations are a living thing. So I know yeah. so much of this, like they, that, that organization needs to assess, like assess, like what works looks like, I guess. But um, so like, how could they, and this is like kind of a meta thing too. It's like all the things we've been talking about, like, is it, you know, maybe once a week you, you take like a three hour block and you write about your week and you look at, you know, mm-hmm. where are the things where you see the agency to other people, where, where are the, the things where you were getting stuck in a loop that you've been trying to fix for the last couple of months, you know, either procrastination or any of these other things that you've been going on. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm curious, like what are, what, like where's would be some good like habits or some structures or processes to put in as yeah. a leader in an organization to make sure that these principles can, can, can stay strong. Mm-hmm. So we have, you, you, what came to mind is another foundational model that we use at evolution called I, we, it, and it's based on integral theory. If you've ever, uh, read about that. Um, it, you would like, you would like to read about, there's a guy named Ken Wilbur and he wrote a bit book called a theory of everything. So not the theory of everything by Stephen Hawkins, but a theory of everything. It's phenomenal. You would love it. But the idea is that it's really around, you know, interconnectedness of all things. And so in business, we view there's three dimensions, the I, we, and the it. So the I is you as an individual, like what you bring as a table in your own self-awareness, uh, your own beliefs, and, you know, how you sort of function. And then the we is interrelational. So that's like how you communicate, how you decide things, how you work together with other people and have hard conversations and feedback. And the it is the stuff that you do. So that might be, you know, the actual product or service you create. It could be your internal processes. It could be your culture. And so as leaders, you need to attend to all of them. You can't just like have an awesome set of individuals that do not know how to communicate with each other. You can't just have people that can communicate with each other that then um, you have systems that are completely misaligned with that. So you sort of have to look at all three of those dimensions and, and support the growth of all of those. So for individuals that might be, you know, Um, getting them coaches or training, like actually helping them to build that self-awareness. And as an individual, you know, do your thing, like 
everybody has to come up with their own practices. Like I meditate daily, I journal daily, I, you know, exercise daily, I do the things that I need to do to maintain my own um, sense of self-awareness and groundedness. So that's what the individual gets to do. But it's really helpful if you get trained in stuff like this. So, you, you know, you can also just give people books and do book clubs. It doesn't have to be through hiring somebody externally, mm-hmm. but some form of building that self core self-awareness. The interrelational piece of it, I think, really comes from the norms that you set up, which should technically not tech, it should not technically, it should tie in with your culture and values. Like the values piece of it should be operationally baked into everything you do. So if you have, you know, the values of integrity, honesty, and hard work, everything you do in terms of how you set up team norms and how do we make decisions, how do we communicate, how do we do feedback, how do we do performance reviews, they should all directly operationalize those values. You should be able to look at that process and be able to describe how it represents the values of your company. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the it side of it, when you're you're creating those processes, you need to do it in alignment with the norms and the values that you set up. And, and then don't just do it once. It's not one and done. Like, okay, here's our values. Great. Like literally every three months, you know, maybe in, in smaller companies, it's the leaders that are looking like, how do we live into our values or not? What do we need to do to course correct? For larger companies, they have culture committees. So let's say they're people from different disciplines and their job is to make sure the company is, is being true to its word and, and walking the talk. There was a, I don't remember where the study came from, uh, but they saw that over the course of three months, if you said, let's say like, we're working on something, this is the vision and this is why we're doing it. People mm-hmm. would forget it after three months. Mm-hmm. And so they would do it like once every three months, but then um, mm-hmm. there was like a, a a, a correlating thought is the guy who runs, I think the, it's a guy who runs Microsoft. Mm-hmm. He, at every one of his meetings, he says what the vision is and how, mm-hmm. what we're talking about fits into that vision. Every one of his meetings, like he, he starts by saying, this is it, this is what we're going and we're going into that. So it's like, amazing, like, like, the, the, like, and you know, they, they see effect from that. But, um, I think sometimes people think, you know, one and done, right. But it's like, how can you systematize it in there and how could you build it in and bake right. it in so that, it's self-reinforcing. Totally. Um, And that practice, like for leaders of constantly giving context, like not just the what, but the why and what's my part in it. So important. Yeah. Left like huge dividends in terms of all, we were talking about all the good things that come from high EQ. A lot of good things come from that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think, um, are there books that you think describe EQ really well that you recommend other than the ones that we've been referencing like throughout yeah. Are there, are there good, like go-to books that you've been given in like coaching sessions? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so definitely the Daniel Goleman, he's got a couple of books, one that's really focused on your own self-awareness and one specifically focused on, you know, work like EQ in work. Uh, so if somebody wants to learn about EQ, do those. I know he already mentioned dare to lead, but it is phenomenal. So Brene Brown uses different terminology, but it's, a, it's the same stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff, like Everything in leadership development, I swear, it's like the exact, it's like three things, but they're repackaged with different terminology. So, yeah. but, but it doesn't matter. Like read the one that you can relate to that like lands on you and makes sense to you and you're still going to get there. So those are mm-hmm. probably my, my favorites. Yeah, there's Thank you. A, there's a, a book called um, The Lean Startup and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, this is a really great book for startups because people always feel like you have to put so much money to get something going. And this, mm-hmm. the the whole book is basically like how to do it um, very small. Yeah. And uh, the process that the person proposes is basically a scientific method. Mm-hmm. It's like, he just repackaged the scientific method right. and wrote a book about it. It's like, this is the same concept, but like, if it makes it easier for you, 
Like I know right. I have a friend who, um, she, uh, she does not work in construction and this is really important for the point I'm about to make. But uh-huh. if you give them a, a construction metaphor, she will understand anything you, can, you want to describe to her. Like, uh, it's really funny. Like I did it one day as a joke. It's like, yeah. well, I really understand what you're saying now. It's like, well, okay, so I'll use construction metaphors wherever I go. So it is, is that fun. from the lean startup. Is that from that book? No, I, I just did it randomly. Oh, oh, oh just ran. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. Yeah. I just, it's uh, within the concept of like things being repackaged and just finding the ways that work. Right. Um, it, it goes anywhere within, you know, interpersonal, uh, you know, how to build a company. A lot of yeah. things are repurposed, like to your point, but um, just find the ones that are core really great. And I think yours are probably right. good. I'm going to check them out. So, and it'll be in the yeah. show notes. So final three questions I always like to ask everybody, um, or so a couple questions are, uh, so what are questions that you have right now that you do not have the answer to? Um, it's always fun. Cause then like people write in and give me ideas and I send them along. That's funny. Um, well, I, I, I'm very curious about the impact of last year and a half. Like I'm really thinking about like, okay, fast forward 10 years and there's like a kid in elementary school reading history book. How in the hell is this going to be like characterized? And what's, and also just very curious about the impact, but what is the actual impact going to be of this in the long term on every level you can think of? And I have no idea. Yeah. Like I have no clue. Well, I, I 10 years. Maybe, I mean, it might be maybe forever until yeah. you really understand the impact of it. I don't totally know. I'm hoping it's going to be at least in part really positive. Like, I do think that it's a little bit harder to not understand the interconnectedness of things when you've had a global pandemic. Yeah. But maybe. Especially with all the, um, like, there are several motor companies, like people who make cars, they can't make cars now because they can't get the chips. And I right. think there's been a lot of like backlog of, of products just from the right. how things have been disconnected. There's a, I think I was reading a paper where like if things get disconnected for three days, like if things can't get around the U S like the world, like, mm-hmm. if, like someone orders like whatever, like three days, like a city is not connected to other, something else. It just like yeah. falls into anarchy. Right. So it's like, oh, everything's God. like three days away. Everything's always three days away. But yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I don't think we really know. Cause like, you know, it, at least in this particular age, I mean, I know major global crises have happened before, but not with a, a level of, ability to share information that, mm. you know, it's just different. So I don't know, yeah. but that is an answer. I cannot, I cannot give a good response to. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to hear what everyone uh, thinks the, there's also, I'll throw this in there. There's like this thing called the bronze age collapse where it was like a, there was like, like a, a volcano went off. So then they didn't get agriculture very well for a couple of years. And there's yeah. a bunch of wars. So people were really spent, but then mm-hmm. like these, uh, this like tribe of people started like pillaging the entire Middle East. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then it collapsed the entire civilization, set them back uh, over the long time. And so huh. it's like with everything going on now, like sometimes people fear, is this like another like collapse situation, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just I, how you frame it. Like uh, what Gandalf says, like no one likes to live in interesting times. That means something bad's going on. That's true. Um, and uh, at least I think there's like a lot of people saying that like for millennials, everyone like, like we've been seeing a lot last like 20, 30 years. Um, yeah. Uh, are there good tools, uh, or, um, are good tools or resources that you'd recommend people check out to incorporate EQ into their uh, work? Well, they're definitely tools from those books. I would, I read those books because they have sort of tools and frameworks and things like that that you can just like replicate a lot, which are, yeah. are great. You know, there is, I know, you know, the friends at Kona. So there's a, uh, company that's got a Slack 
basically plugin that allows teams to basically monitor EQ. It's, it's pretty awesome. So yeah. you can sort of like look at individuals and report like, am I, you know, yellow, uh, red, yellow, green? How am I doing today? What am I feeling? And also can trend things up. So tools like that are awesome ways to sort of in, bake in EQ into, uh, into orgs. Mm-hmm. I recommend Kona. I actually asked this question, so you have to say them. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so, well, yeah. Phew, I answered correctly. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and then, um, what, uh, where, where do you live on the internet? Like, where, um, if do you have like a newsletter where you talk about a lot about these things? Do you have like a Twitter where you kind of tweet, uh, or like what's the best way to kind of like be tapped yeah. into your your thought process? Yeah. Uh, so I have, uh, maybe I'll send you, I'll send you all my, all my handles or whatever, but yeah. I have a medium, you know, account where whenever I, I'm random about when I post things, but I'll put blog posts out there. Sometimes I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, pretty much not using Facebook so much anymore. I mean, I've got a Facebook, you know, profile, and obviously LinkedIn, but I'll send you all my handles. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And those will be in the, those will be in the show notes as long as I'm allowed to share them. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And I'll also send you the information about evolution, like our coach training program and things like that. Sweet. Awesome. Um, oh, that reminds me also evolution has, we have a resource page. So there's some great stuff on there too, like downloadable, like resources of all kinds, like how to, how to create connection, you know, and things like that. Just some good stuff there. Hello everybody. That was Janine Davis. Uh, I want to thank her again for coming on the podcast. We covered a wide variety of topics, personal, professional, her life, uh, things she wonders about. So if you got something from this, let me know. Message Janine, let her know. She took so much time out of her day. And considering I I see the big impact that she has on the world, taking the time out of her day was a really big thank you and one that I want to present to her and everyone listening for taking your time to listen as well. So I can't do anything if you guys aren't here with me. So I want to thank you as well. Uh, remember to check us out at learnable.com youtube channel links everything's going to be there check the show notes i even linked the books or at least wrote them in i I try to be as helpful is there anything that i haven't done that you guys like let me know and i'll just add it to my workflow on doing this moving forward but thank you again for coming to the learn flow podcast today and i hope you have a great day